also brought to you by the Boatyard in Fort Lauderdale. Eat local, but stay coastal at the Boatyard Restaurant. The Boatyard is located at 1555 Southeast 17th Street in Fort Lauderdale. That means you can come by boat or you can come by car. Enjoy the nautical atmosphere whether you sit inside in the cold AC or outside on the patio bar. The Boatyard has something for everyone. Monday through Friday, happy hour. Where local favorite is bar bites and handcrafted cocktails. Open for lunch, dinner, and the popular Sunday brunch. And don't forget, ladies night. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. where ladies drink free. Dock and dine at the famous Boatyard in Fort Lauderdale. I am sure you'll have a great experience. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Captain Jeff and welcome to the Real Guy Podcast. Today we got a special guest in the studio, Carl Ball. Carl, good to have you. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Good to be here. Yeah, right on. Um, if you guys don't know it, uh, Carl's uh, a skiff fisherman, a bonefish permit tarpon guy down in Key Biscayne. Um, fishes Biscayne Bay, been fishing there how many years now, Carl? Uh, gosh, I started fishing down there in 93, started guiding in 96. Wow. Wow. So, so you see some changes going on down there in Biscayne Bay over the years, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look back at it, and there's a lot of things different than what it used to be, yeah. Carl, I want to talk about your uh, guide business at the beginning of the podcast, because there's a lot more people that listen to the beginning of the podcast than listen to the end of the podcast. Okay. The uh, name of Carl's uh, charter business is called AWOL, like... Um, like AWOL. Absent without leave. Absent without leave. And uh, AWOL.com. Uh, AWOL. It's, it's actually, my website is AWOLfishingguide.com. AWOLfishingguide.com. But if you Google AWOL, you Google Carl Ball, it will pop up. Right. And he is the king of the slam in Biscayne Bay, at least as far as I'm concerned. Carl's a little modest. He doesn't think he's quite the king of the slam because he compares himself <laughs> to guys like Mark Croca and some of the dudes down in the middle of the Keys. But um, doing a slam in Biscayne Bay is a big deal. And um, Carl's able to do, what'd you say, about a dozen a year, you think? I do probably a dozen a year, maybe a few more, but yeah, right around there. I don't keep track of it anymore. I used to try to keep track of it, but. I don't keep track of my shit anymore either. Yeah. <laughs> Fish counts, all, how big they are, how small they are, whatever. It all blends in. You know all the spots you fish. You know when to be there and what to do. So you know after a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's um, I think that's pretty normal with most of the guides that you know have a decade or so under their belt and they're doing, you know, two hundred trips a year or whatever. How many year? How many um? How many trips are you getting? You know, in your, in your year. I'm doing a little over 200. Over 200, yeah. yeah. You know, I hear a lot of guides talk about the 300 number and that kind of stuff, and I kind of shake my head. I'm like, how in the hell? Right. I mean, uh, I think it was, um, well, it's going to be the year before last soon, but the year before last, I did like 274 trips. Now, a lot of them were, were doubles, you know, yeah. so it wasn't like 274 days. Yeah. But, dude. Yeah. That was too many for me. It's a workout. A workout. Dude, I was like spent. I know. I could see myself doing 250 uh, on a regular basis, but I don't miss it if I'm not doing 250. <laughs> right. I like getting just over 200, and I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think <clears throat> I think you know if, if, if right around 200, it's manageable. Get a little over 200, it's you know you're okay. And I think it's important not to overdo it because there's a point where you're actually taking away 
from your client's experience simply because you don't have the energy. Yeah, and I think you kind of could get a little burnout on it. You know, there's other there's other things in life that you have to do too, you know, like vacation and spend some time with friends and and go do some things and see the world a little bit, you know, and when you look back at over the years that I sacrificed doing all those things, some family time and that, you know, you realize, okay, well, no matter what kind of work you do, it's probably not all about the work. It's about the life that you you live in between the work. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, there's a happy medium. There's definitely a happy medium. And then being a fishing guide, um, you know, because your hours aren't normal and your other friends, you know, have regular hours. Yeah. So a lot of the time that you do get off isn't like... None. congenial with the other people's time that they get off like you don't say right. oh memorial day's weekend weekend's coming so i'm going to take three days off no and then you can hang out with your friends and do barbecues and all that shit you forfeit all that right you go do the fishing trips because everybody's doing it wants to go fishing no right. that's what happens and you know all my friends that have real regular jobs they all have weekends off and holidays and and so i miss out on a lot of things for at least the six first six and seven months out of the year i work almost every single weekend so i have no family stuff i might go to a family dinner unless it's a real special occasion or something i don't take the day off so like a lot of friends fishing trips that i would go to fish chuckalusky or flamingo yeah i just miss all that stuff and don't get to do it yeah i've, I've learned over the years during the holidays at christmas i apologize to all my friends and family right up front right yeah i'm like dude i'm gonna disappear for the next six months it's not because i don't love you or don't like you but you know and i apologize right up front because i know i know for sure you know they're going to be calling you know through the season to want to spend some time and it's just not an option right yeah there was a uh, one of the guys on the captain's collective um i guess the captain's collective podcast uh they were interviewing a guide and I'm going to start using this, but he called it hay time. You know, hay time. Yeah, during his tarpon season, he says, hay time. It's time to, like, not worry about anything else. Right. And spend your time doing what you have to do. Right. And then, you know, eventually it'll be over. Yeah. And he called it hay time. That's funny. Yeah, pretty good, I thought. Pretty good, I thought. Yeah, it is good. I mean, it's, you know, once you do, you get your head in the right place. You don't think about it too much. You're busy every day. And, you know, the next thing you know, the whole six months has gone by. And, you know, you're out every day, you enjoy doing what you do, and, you know, every day's a new day with fishing anyways, and it's good excitement, and so, you know, it goes by quick that way. Yeah, the, um, if you guys, uh, you know, or seem like it's familiar, because you heard Carl's name a whole bunch of time, it's because this is the guide that put Bonefish Busaka on his first Bonefish last month. Yeah. And, um, you know... Busaka being the novice, you know, not knowing about the flats or about the bonefish or anything. Um, we did a podcast with him. Um, and basically, it was just all about him catching his first bonefish. <laughs> and I was actually jealous. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because he was experiencing it for his first time. Right. And you could hear it in his voice. He was excited. Yeah, he was excited. His mind was going. He yeah. saw things that he never saw before. There's a way to fish that he never fished before. And he was so genuinely excited. Right. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, I wish I could feel that again. Right. We're not enthusiastic like we used to be. We're enthusiastic, but it's, you know, it's about different shit. Yeah. You know, like Something you, new. Yeah. You get, like, like what, what gets me high today is like when I have a good client that I really like. 
and he has a great day. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's all excited. So then I come home and I'm excited. Yeah, you're excited because of that. Yeah, because yeah. of that. But the days of me being excited about, you know, catching a, a bonefish or a tarpon, it's not like I'm not excited, but I was not like Busaka right. oh, was. Oh, well, he's really excited. Yeah. Well, he's <laughs> going he's gonna to go with you again to get the permit, he told yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I think we got a day uh, booked already. Yeah, yeah, you got a so, uh, Yeah, like in a month or something. I forget when it is, but. Right. Like, I, I see you've been crushing the crushing the permit recently in your recent trips yeah been doing pretty good on them yeah, yeah there's plenty of them around i don't know how those fish do that but man they like it hot they do what is and up bone with fish that? don't mind the heat either i was catching bonefish in uh 93.8 degree water according to my raymarine wow yeah wow see <laughs> i like the only time i catch the perms usually is um, in the middle of the summer yeah. And I'll catch them when we're tarpon fishing because, you know, we're drifting crabs. And I usually get them in the deeper water and that kind of thing. Right. But, man, it'll be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's friggin' 95 degrees out. And there they are, yeah, happy they as are. a clam, ready to eat a crab for uh, you. It's better in the winter or in the summertime. Um, it's surprising how it changes. Um, in the wintertime, when the water is like 74, 75, it's actually a little hard. You can find them, but it can be a little difficult to get a bite. Yeah, they don't they, seem as happy. Yeah, they don't just come up and wolf a crab like they do when it's 85, 88 degrees. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it, it's, it's good for me because um, in the summertime, those tarpon don't want to do dick until, you know, 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. So if we can squeak out a permit or two, you know, in the, in the heat, you know, it keeps everybody happy. keeps me happy. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, it makes me look forward to the beginning of the trip instead of just waiting for the end. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Now... Like I said earlier, um, I consider Carl, Carl the king of the slam in Biscayne Bay, and I wanted to, I wanted to see if, um, I just wanted to see if you like had a specific strategy when you're when you're you know either targeting a slam or do you just kind of let the slam come to you or is it a little bit of both? Well, but, I mean, it's a little bit of both. You kind of got to be on it, you know. If if somebody wants to get a slam. If the tarpon are around and it's happening, I mean, you got to really try to get the tarpon first thing in the morning. Right. The earlier, the better for the tarpon. You can get them throughout the day, but really, you really need to get that tarpon early in the morning. And then it just depends on what tide I have and the spot that I'm going to would go fish for either the bonefish or the permit. Right. And uh, then I would plan my day around that. And usually the last one is the hardest one to get because that's the big question that everybody asks which one is the hardest one the last the one. last one <laughs> the time's running out you know something about the, the last pressure one. starts to build right <laughs> well i mean um you know you, we, when you hear about biscayne bay a lot of people think including myself that is probably the most difficult playing field to to get a slam would you agree with that you know, I think it's a hard spot. I think, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, in the lower keys is a good spot because there's, there's the bonefish population is better. There's plenty of permit there. Uh, it seems to be plenty of tarpon, especially in the summertime. There's a lot of small tarpon. Um, I don't see nearly as many small tarpon in Biscayne Bay as I have down in the lower keys. Right. Um, you know, for me, what saves me is just knowing the bay so well and knowing where they're going to be that you know i find these these have these spots where i can go get them otherwise if you didn't really know your way around that well yeah it would probably be pretty hard yeah 
You're not going to stumble upon a slam yeah, in this game don't, day. Yeah, you don't really stumble across stuff like like it was when I first started guiding and fishing down there. Right. I would just fish hard, and I would stumble across stuff, and then eventually I learned spots and when to be there. But nowadays, it's really hard to just stumble across anything. You you pretty much have to know a spot and have to know when something's going to come. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a building block type of fishery. You know, you learn a certain spot with a certain tide, and you know that that's going to work for you for maybe, you know, a certain part of the year. So and then you build your next, you know, spot mm-hmm. that may change because of tide and because of the time of year. And then when you have enough building blocks, you that's know, right. put up, then yeah. you actually have a, a strategy yeah. and something that you can fall back on. Until you start seeing some of those building blocks over the years disappear. Some of those blocks fall and they're yeah. gone. In Broward and Dade, we've seen a lot of building blocks disappear over the years. So that's amazing. for damn sure. I say that all the time to people when we're out there. I'm like, you know, this spot used to be so good. And, you know, when you talk to people about the old days and where they fished, and yeah, I used to see them there all the time. Yeah. And you don't. I don't know why. It's weird. It's like the spot changed or I don't know what it is. But then, you know, every now and then I find a new spot to kind of fill in for that one or whatever. But. Right. Yeah. Right, it right. is amazing how many. If I knew, I always say, if I knew then, or if I knew, or had all those spots now that I had back then, and added that to what I know now, it'd be a no-brainer for me. It'd be, it'd be no-brainer. Easy. It'd be easy. Yeah, it'd be really easy. Yeah, not too much of that yeah. no-brainer easy no, stuff you, in this business. You really have to stay <laughs> on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, perfect example. I mean, um, the first time. Um, I ever did TV was was with Bill Dance about uh, eleven years ago. Yeah, we fished right here on the river. Yeah, I remember. And yeah. um, the guy went zero for eighteen on his first day of fishing. Wow, that's great. I don't think I caught eighteen tarpon in that river this whole year. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> Is it that bad? I haven't fished it in so long. I don't know. No, it's it's um, you know it's just the overdevelopment, the pollution, the water quality. There's you know not a lot of water flowing out of the river anymore. Mm-hmm. But those building blocks definitely disappeared. Our new river, there just isn't the fish in there that they used to be. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see me more often now, Carl. Yeah, right. You know, like yeah. like I stretch out all the way to to Crandon now because I have to. Right. You know, I much rather fish right here. Yeah, it would be easy. And no I love fishing that river. I built my business in that river. Yeah. But it's not an option anymore. Right. You know? Yeah, I used to love fishing that river and like getting those jump pictures with that tarpon jumping down the river. And that was just, to me, that was just spectacular to see that with that closed in scenery. And no, that river was always yeah. a special place. That was great. And, um, yeah, there's still a few fish left in there. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with that with that river or with a lot of these places. You know, um, Carl's a member of Captains for Clean Waters. Yeah. And um, maybe, just maybe, um, they'll get the Everglades straightened out. And maybe the so. maybe the water flow back into Art River and some of these other little canals right. and estuaries that we have here in Broward County. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you know, maybe that'll, maybe that'll be the ticket. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, no, I sure hope so, because I thought it was just a Stewart and uh, Caloosahatchee problem with the lake draining out. And then the last two years, um, that I, the times that I did fish Lauderdale in the fall, I actually saw a lot of that algae floating on the surface and then the water up some of the canals when I was netting mullet. 
Last year was bad. And I was surprised because I didn't think they let that much water out to this to this area and that it was in there. And I thought we were isolated from it, but I was just amazed and surprised and disappointed that it's actually just, it's everywhere. Well, the last, the last three years, it was kind of like, at least here in Fort Lauderdale and the canals and stuff we're talking about, you saw it build. You know, it started off with a little bit of algae. Mm -hmm. Then there was kind of a lot of algae. And then last year, it was really gross. The back of the canals were, were filled up with that crap. Mm -hmm. And the red tide was strong enough here that I would have a bait well full of mullet. As long as I stayed inside in the intercoastal, hmm. the mullet were fine. As soon as I went out to the ocean just a little bit, got okay. where the water mixed, yeah, all the bait would die in my well. Wow, I didn't even know that. It lasted, yeah. for, it lasted for about two weeks. Yeah. And... Um, you know, maybe that had something to do with the red tide that sounded like it came around from the West Coast. Something. So that red tide was so bad over there that I think the Gulf Stream picked it up and the northwest winds and it pushed it around the coast and there was big clumps of it that came up our coastline. I mean, I never saw it in Miami, never, never on the beach, none of that. I never saw it at all. And right. And so I thought we avoided it, but then talking to some people over the year, there was some big clumps of it that were out like in the Gulf Stream and people ran into these big areas where it was like a dead zone and it smelled funny and looked funny. And yeah. No, we got that smell here and you could feel it in the back of your throat for a couple of weeks, oh. you know, and then it was like that real red tide stuff. Yeah. But it makes me like crazy skeptical, you know, it makes me start to think about, you know, conspiracies and stuff. Yeah is how in the world was it so bad, even right here, last year? Yeah. This year, I don't see one trace of it. Yeah. Well. I don't see any green algae. I don't see nothing. It's almost like somebody like, oh. They set it off? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if, if we saw half of what we saw last year or a third or just a sign, I'd be like, okay, we're just having a better year. Right. But something in my mind makes me think that somebody knows something out there. Captain for clean water went out and dumped a little beaker full of something in the water, well, raised more money, some, get more attention. Well, my original theory was, because you remember how it started, Stuart got crushed three or four years ago. Right. And they cried like holy hell. Uh -huh. And got a lot of attention. Yeah. That started it off. The next year, Stewart didn't get crushed. Yeah, they didn't let as much water out. Right. They let it out the West Coast. Yeah. And the West Coast got crushed. Right. So, obviously, somebody yeah. had something to do with that. Well, That wasn't like all natural or whatever. Yeah, they're trying to juggle it and stay out of trouble at the same time. I know, know for a fact you know? that the FWC and these people that do the tests and all the conservation tests... Um, for the state, hold back information. They probably do. No, I know it for a fact. Yeah. I know it for a fact because okay. when the red tide was here last year and I talked to the FWC about it, they said, yes, we knew that, but we didn't make a public announcement about that. Mm. Now, what's up with that? Yeah. They, that's fishy. Yeah, they're trying to keep it And I don't mean like fishy like fisheries. I mean, that's fishy like it makes me wonder. Well, they don't want to scare everybody. I mean, I don't know. They probably should. But on the other hand, they don't want to scare everybody. I mean, we do have a big tourist industry down here in South Florida. And when you saw what happened over on the West Coast with all that algae bloom and all those dead fish and uh, a lot of people lost a lot of money in home rentals and hotels. I mean, people just weren't coming anymore. Right. And uh, so, I mean, I think that, you know, Fort Lauderdale, FWC, you name it, whatever, 
they you know they want to do something about it but there's nothing they can do really and except run everybody off right i mean there should be some kind of a warning if there's a health issue for sure there's got to be some kind of a warning well i don't know I don't know. Call me the skeptic. I'm not a big fan of the FWC, at least in Broward and Dade County. Yeah. I've heard some good stories in some of the other parts of the state about yeah. about that and what they do and what they don't do. I'm a little bit tainted yeah. simply simply because of a whole list of shit here. Right. But um, I don't know. I think they hold back information. I think they know stuff that um, they're not willing to let everybody else know. Yeah. Which I don't get. I mean, yeah. it's government, right? It's like government agencies. That's why everything's supposed to be so publicly accessible so that they're, they can't keep it from you. But, you know, they don't talk about it. And really, your average, everyday, ordinary FWC officer that's just out on the beat, he may not follow up on it any more than right. your average guy that's sitting in an office somewhere. You know, right. they just may not know. They go out, they sit at the boat ramp, they wait for boats to come in. They go check their safety gear, and they put their time in, and then they get off duty, and that's it. They go have a cocktail. Well, we got we got one thing that happened this last month that might be a a, a major positive. Do you know who Steve Hudson is? Mm, yeah, local guy. Yeah, right. yeah. Did you know that he's the commissioner of the FWC now? Really? Really? Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, good. and I'm pretty good friends with him. Good for I've him. I've known Steve since he was a kid. My dad actually made a boat for his dad. Yeah. We've known each other a long time. Okay. So uh, anyway, he's, I'm not sure what the hell a commissioner actually means with the FWC, but he's the guy. Wow. So the next time I'm seeing him at the Yacht Club or one of these parties where we're hanging out, I'm yeah. going to hit him right between the eyes with the Broward and Dade County shit. Ask him what's going on. Ah, I just want to know. Yeah. I want to know that if, if he knows in Broward and Dade County that, the FWC and the guides pretty much consider themselves consider each other adversaries instead of you know what I mean? Yeah, it would be interesting to see what his feel is on how that works because it's kind of like you feel like the FWC and the guides the charter fishing industry should be working together. Oh, def especially in Broward and Dade County. For sure. Because I mean, we have so many other people that aren't concerned about the conservation, aren't concerned about the fish. Right. And there's nobody in Broward and Dade County that, you know, has that concern more than yeah. the inshore guides. Right. And, and we want the same things, supposedly, that the FWC wants to accomplish. Right. No, we're their eyes and their ears. Well, we they should just be. don't take advantage of it. Right, we should, should be. at least have a number we can call and say, here, let's talk to the guy. And see and tell them, you know, and have them react to it. Right. Like, like for instance, I'm sitting down there in uh, North Bay, mm -hmm. and there's some sort of diesel or, or fuel spill. Right. And the whole north side of the bay has this slick all over it. Yeah. But if I go to make a call, one, I don't have a local FWC guy to call. Yeah. If I do make the call, it's a 1-800 number to Tallahassee. Yeah, there's a local North Miami place, but it's the same thing. It goes through the operator. She's gonna recall and report it, and right. I've done that before. Yeah, I've done. I did it once. And I was, you, don't, you won't see the guy. I was so disgusted <laughs> with the process. I was like, "Well, that was a giant waste of time." Yeah, it is. But I really think the guys like you and me, that are out on the bay, out in the intercoastal, two hundred plus days a year, yeah, should be on the same wavelength. 
should have communication, should have cell phone numbers right. to all the dudes that are in the FWC, especially the head dudes right. that are where we are. Yeah. Do you ever see the same FWC officers like every day, regular? I know you got a buddy, Drew, that's an FWC guy. Right. Drew's FWC. He's right here in Fort Lauderdale. And um, Drew's in it for all the right reasons. Yeah. He doesn't really need the dough. Thank God, because they don't give those guys a lot of dough. Right. But he's a real fisherman, mm-hmm. and he's a conservationist at heart. And um, I think he would do it pretty much for free. Mm-hmm. And um, because of that, he's still there. I did see one of the guides that uh, were busting my balls. Oh, yeah. But the reason I saw him is because I took him to court. Oh, did you so really? I, yeah, I took oh, him to court. Okay. I got thrown I out of that. the court. I wish I could have had a video of the judge. You got thrown out or the case got the thrown case out? got thrown out. Okay. <laughs> There's I, a difference well, there. Well, I called you. I called you. I called you that that week. It was, I don't know, there was some shit happening down there in Biscayne Bay where, where yeah. they were all on, you know, high alert. Some fool run himself into the jetty and killed himself. Oh, that guy. Yeah. And then, you know, the FWC and the police and everybody, you know, were on like high alert. So what do they do? They start busting the guide's balls. Right. You know, and I You're get the only one around all the time. <laughs> right. I'm around. <laughs> I'm fishing like at night. So there's not a lot of dudes around. And um, I don't know. They got me for something that I never got before. And considering I've been checked literally hundreds of times in the last decade, mm-hmm. hundreds, Carl, mm-hmm. never heard about this problem one time it was about me having a commercial registration instead of a recreational registration oh yeah so anyway they busted my balls about that and of course i went and got the commercial registration because that's what they asked for but um i told the fwc officer when he gave me the warning about the commercial registration that i was booked every day this week and i probably wouldn't be able to get it till monday Mm-hmm. well he told me he says well if another guy checks you then you can get in trouble. So immediately I called Drew on my way back from fishing that night. And I said, hey, Drew, this is what just happened with the commercial fishing li- or commercial fishing registration. I said, do I need to just stop everything right now? I said, is this something that they're now enforcing? Because I never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. And Drew said, no. He says, you know, you're not going to, uh, you know, probably get that. He goes, I never, you know, asked for the for that type of registration. So I wouldn't worry about it, he told me. Well, the very next night. You got it again. Well, the funny thing about that, it was a different FWC officer. Yeah. Okay. But the first thing he asked me for was if I had a commercial registration. Oh, really? But he, he said commercial. Commercial, right. Off the re- bat. right. And that's really? two nights in a row. Yeah. And I heard about it. Yeah. So I knew damn well that you he were, was talking to the other FWC yeah, you officer. Yeah, were on the list. Right. So, so of course, what right. happened was is the one FWC officer called the other FWC officer on the phone. You and, see this guy. And, right. No, they called. While I was standing there, they called on the phone. Oh. And the FWC officers decided that. They were going to go ahead and implement the law with me, which isn't just like a regular violation. It was actually a misdemeanor. That big, huh? I guess. I mean, you know, it was a criminal charge and it was a misdemeanor. So if I did nothing but go and get the commercial registration, that would have meant that I admitted guilt and that there'd be a misdemeanor on my record. Really? Yeah. Now, I've been fishing out here for 30 plus something years. I've never even got a citation before. 
for yeah. anything, Carl. Yeah. I try to, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's and make sure everybody's happy. Yeah. So I felt like I got set up that night. Well, I probably. can't prove it, but, yeah, you know. A little bit. It's pretty coincidental. Yeah, right. And I, mean, uh, I, I, I did the same thing years ago. But the guy just said, you, your boat's not registered commercially, you're a charter. And I was like, oh, really? I didn't even know. I thought that meant like commercial fishing, like not charter fishing, but yeah. So. Right. And then. And nothing happened. No big deal. But then what? You just voluntarily went and changed it yeah, after went that? Yeah. Switched over to commercial. No, nothing was ever said. You know what it cost me? No. Seven bucks. To switch it over? <laughs> yeah, yeah. To switch it to the. <laughs> Yeah, but talking about oh, seeing the man. same FWC officers, I did see that guy twice, once when he gave me the citation and then once again in court. But it's not normal to see the same guys over and over again. Yeah. And it drives me crazy because when they do pull me over, and that particular week I get pulled over seven out of ten trips. They were on you. They were on a lot they of people, were. but they especially on me. And I asked them, I said, dude, I said, why are you pulling me over? I go, there's two guys fishing over there under the bridge. There's two other dudes in the channel. I go, but I come in the inlet, and you come running over to me to check me. And you know what he told me? Mm. He says, well, you have fishing rods all over your boat. And I says, well, oh. I says, I never not have fishing rods all over my boat. Yeah. So I turned around to him, and I says, so if you have fishing rods that the FWC can see, I says, that puts me on a higher scrutiny level than, say, that jet skier over there or that bi router over there. And he told me, absolutely. So, oh, maybe you yeah. learned something. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I'd get a fancy skiff like yours where I can hide all oh. my shit in these uh, <laughs> cabinets and stuff and they won't bother me near as much. <laughs> well, the good thing about the skiff is we have a reputation for catch and release only. Right. So, we really rarely ever have anything that's you know, going to get us in trouble. Well, you're also pulling around, you know, 10 inches a foot of water. I can't get to Right, us. so they're, they're looking at you across the flat. If you knew what they were saying, Carl, you might <laughs> think... waving us over. Right, you might think of it a little bit different. But it's easy. They just go right by you, and they'll go fuck with me because I'm fishing in the channels right. and under the bridges and stuff. I don't know, dude. I got, I got a, oh, I got a love-hate relationship with the FWC, I got to tell you. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I really don't feel... I really don't feel like those guys, at least in Broward and Dade County, I can't speak for the rest of the state. Yeah. I don't think they give a shit. I think it's all like everything else, you know, in life, like the, the police. I mean, there's probably a lot, a lot of really good cops. And there's probably some that are mediocre that really don't care, but they don't get in trouble either. And then there's the ones that we see in the news that get in trouble. Right. And the FWC is probably right along those lines. There's probably some really good guys that are big conservationist like Drew that's in it for all the right reasons and he wants to, you know, keep poachers down and, you know, all that stuff. And then you got guys that are probably just out there. They just want to do as little as they can. They want to, I see them at the boat ramp all the time at Crandon. They're sitting in the truck. They look like they're filling out paperwork or doing, you know, and they probably do have paperwork to fill out. Right. But, you know, you don't see them. They don't get out of their truck. You'll see several boats come in. They don't do anything. So they're probably just doing the ramp duty. Right. And they do what they have to do, fill out the schedule, and head back to the office, drop the truck off, and go home. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, there's all different levels of them. And it's too bad it's not different, you know. I think they should be out on the water a little bit more. I mean, I just see these guys at the boat ramp all the time, but I don't see them 
in the water all the time. Yeah, and that's a good point. And even if they're not in the water all the time, you'd think they would come up to guys like you and me consistently and just talk to get right. some to get some information, yeah. seeing what we see see-in or what we crazy. don't see, yeah. you know. Right. Or, or wouldn't you think it'd be part of their job description to know who the guys that are fishing 200 days a year in their territory? I would think they'd want to know. You would think so. Yeah. And you yeah, think I don't you, know why not. I don't get it. Yeah. And I'm I'm just I'm going to I'm going to keep, you know, bitching and moaning, but I'm going to talk to Hudson. I talked to the um the head dude for Biscayne Bay. Yeah. It did not go well. Oh yeah. Well, I it, told him what was happening. Yeah. And I asked him, you know, if there was maybe a time where I could come and meet him. And he could do an inspection on my boat. Right. And then the next day when one of his guys were going to inspect me again, I can say, oh, I just got the inspection yesterday. Right. So then maybe they can spend, you know, 30 to 30 seconds to maybe a minute and a half and look in all two of my hatches to make sure I'm not poaching anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if they did that and let me and my clients on my way, I give them the fist bump. I'd love to know their name. So I'd be like, all right, Roger, see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I'd be more than happy to see the FWC and more than happy to have them board my boat every single day. If I knew it was going to be 45 seconds and it was about yeah. trying to catch me for fish. And then after they did that for 200 times, maybe, just right. maybe, they'd be like, oh, you know that Lunker dog, dude? He hardly ever kills anything. Right. And um, you're probably not going to have anything. Yeah, he's probably not going to have anything, but he is out there 200 days a year. And that other scumbag captain, I think he's poaching a whole bunch of snooks. Maybe we should ask the Lunker dog what he thinks about that guy. Right. No, never happens that no. way. Yeah. And I pray, I hope, you know, that we can change, you know, just, it's a process. I get it. Just yeah. like captains for clean waters are trying to change the water flow. I just like to change the relationship. There between- may be more to it than we know too, but it doesn't hurt to find out and see what it is. Yeah. I do know one thing. I didn't go to this meeting. I should have gone to it, but it was anyway. So they were, FWC is going to start trying to patrol Biscayne National Park a little bit more, or at least that's the talk to see if this will work. And they were getting some public comments on it and uh, have to see how things went and where it went. But, um, yeah, I think they're going to start maybe enforcing some of Biscayne National Park's laws because Biscayne National Park has, like, zero funding for park rangers. Right. So everything that can go wrong is going wrong, especially in the north part of the bay because that's the furthest area from any of the park rangers. So FWC might wind up getting a little bit more involved in on-water enforcement. Well, it's funny you mention that because um, I went fishing out of Chukaluski um, about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> only the second time I ever fished out of there. I only fished in Everglades National Park, at least drove into the park and launched in this park mm-hmm. a few times in my lifetime. I've gone from Isla Mirada and come across quite a few times but um i went out with brian sanders mm-hmm. and uh had a beautiful day out there mm-hmm. i saw no water taxis no. i saw no jet skis <laughs> i saw no fwc <laughs> no and i was boats. i was starting to really you know like celebrate a little bit and then i see some lights off in the distance yeah and the park rangers pulled us over yeah now the park rangers over there you got to look out for flamingo everglades national park they're on it over there. Right. They pulled us over. 
but you could tell it was a totally different relationship between Sanders and that park ranger as opposed to FWC and the Lunker Dog. That's because Sanders has been being good lately. Right. But <laughs> now, Sanders admitted in the old days that he pushed the envelope quite a bit. Right. But he, uh, you know, he's, he's, I mean, I think a lot of those old swamp people like Sanders, you know. Yeah, it still happens hard, sometimes. Well, they had a hard time, you know, with the, with the new regulations and the yeah. Rangers and the FWC dudes because, yeah, you know, he's got old roots history you know in the in the park well and And, also they um they changed things up a little bit because for everglades national park guides they were gonna when it came to getting your uh permit to guide over there right they were gonna just straight up charge you a thousand bucks per year or five percent of your gross revenues from guiding in the park so you could pay anything from a minimum of $1,000 up to maybe, you know, if you did two or 250 days a year, you did uh, $100,000 worth of gross revenues. Well, that's could eventually that would work up to about $5,000 a year. Right. So the guides all got together and they went and they talked to the park. That was service. like four years ago? Yeah, that's been I a couple that. years ago. Yeah. And so they all kind of said, look, this is exactly what we're talking about with the FWCs. Look. The guides promote fishing in Everglades National Park more than the Everglades National Park promotes fishing or any other thing in Everglades National Park. We bring a ton of people here. We want the park to be healthy so that we can fish it. We want to take care of things. We want to make it better. We'd love to make it a better experience for everybody. It's not like the old days of poaching and commercial fishing. We're... we're, this is our livelihood. We want it as good as it can possibly be so that we can all benefit from it. And so I think through those meetings, they, they kind of had an understanding and realized that the park rangers aren't out against the fishing guides and the fishing guides really aren't out against the park rangers. And if we keep an eye on things together, we report things that look funny or whatever, you know, I mean, we can work together. You don't have to charge us through the nose to try to get Right. all the money we can't pay for all the stuff that needs to be done for the park i mean that has to come from everybody right right so uh yeah i think things have changed in that respect and i think it probably should change with the fwc in the same respect well hopefully i mean you know hopefully you know DeSantis he put hudson in there yeah and maybe if with a little bit of communication maybe you know somebody at the top will actually understand what we're talking about yeah and maybe just maybe we'll, we'll uh and I think uh, Ron Bergeron became one of the board uh, members for the uh, South Florida Water Management District. Well, you, you know, everybody asks me if I know Ron, like I should yeah. know Ron. But he's local here, too. Yeah. Yeah. And because I don't yeah, know him. I, I don't he know him. lives out in Davie or wherever, but. Like everybody seems to know him. And I well, don't know. he's a big name in town. He's built a lot of stuff out west. He was a, like a big contractor. Developer built type. Of roads and. Yeah. yeah, I don't know all the details either, but yeah, <laughs> he's got big money. He does a lot of really good things for the community. So yeah, he's probably a really good one to have on that, that if, board. If you guys didn't know, um, Carl's real Florida cracker. I mean, he's been here his whole life. His family was here generations before him. Somebody was telling me, was it an uncle of yours that had the charter boat up the river when the marinas used to be yeah. west instead of east? Yeah, it was my grandfather. That was your grandfather? Yeah, yep. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, I mean, it it wasn't a long history of guiding or chartering, but uh, the his dad and family they always came to South Florida and would stay in Boca 
during the winter time. Okay. And so my great grandfather owned a restaurant up in New Jersey, and during the winter they closed it down. It was out of season, and they'd come down here, and so he had a boat. Boat's name was Awal, because their last name was Loa, and they just thought it was a neat thing to spell it backwards and call it Awal. Uh-huh. So th- they would do a bunch of him and another guy, buddy of his, long-term friend, my grandfather. Did uh, charters out of Boca Inlet for a little while, and then they came up here, and they were out of the New River. Back when the New River was, yeah. What year year was that, Reckon? That was like, uh, they moved down here in 1947. (laughs) Their house was built in 1947, so that was anywhere from 1945 to like 1950. And unfortunately, when you're young and you don't think much of it, you just kind of knew that he did that. Right. I didn't know enough to know to ask him all the details, like, where did you keep the boat? Let's go down there and see what that's like. Let me, you know, I mean, there was a few old pictures, but you can't get much out of some of those. Right, right. But, uh, well, I think, I mean, the vast majority of people that live down here are kind of like me, where you consider yourself the old Florida dude, but my parents moved here in the 70s. Yeah. You know, and, you know, I was actually born up in uh, Massachusetts, but the river and the marinas and everything is still pretty much laid out the way it was, you know, when I was a kid. But you go back into the, oh. you know, 60s, 50s, and 40s, and it was a totally different yeah. place. Hey, you look at some of the old pictures, and you can't even believe that the humans have just absolutely destroyed this area. Yeah, I mean, they all have. All things considered, I mean, it's, yeah. No, we we, we destroyed this area. Yeah. And we're, we're, we're actually, like, on our third time over yeah. destroying it. They're redestroying it right. all over They're again right now. destroying it now. You know, right. I, I look at all the mistakes that, um, you know, that Broward County has made, Dade County has made, all the way up to Palm Beach County. It's pretty apparent. Mm-hmm. And then I look at the west coast of Florida, and I'm thinking to myself, how in the world do these mayors and state representatives and stuff, how can they not learn from the mistakes that we made here? Yeah. Because my parents moved over to Punta Gorda. Oh, did they? About uh, 15 years ago. And we moved the boat company over there. And in that short amount of time, I can see the difference big time. Oh, yeah? In the number of people, the development that's happening, what they're doing with the roads, all the little creeks that they're damming up. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, can't you guys see what we did in Broward County? And can't you learn from that just a little bit? And that was always known as the wild coast for me, you know. I mean, everything, there's so much nature over there all the time. But, you know, there has there's just been a huge explosion in the population down here. And even, like, last year when I was in December, I went up to Tampa to fish with a buddy of mine. And we went up to the Chazahowitzka River. And he The what? Chazahowitzka. <laughs> okay. Beautiful river, right? Yeah. yeah. It's up by the Big Bend area, kind of. Okay. Just north of Tampa a little bit. And. You know, when you're driving down the interstate or down the roads, you see, like, pines and looks all wooded. And it feels like the country. You don't see tall buildings. But, you know, when you start looking a little bit closer and you see the big sign for the 
450 home development that's going to go in and then there's another one just on the other side of this big intersection that's on that corner and there's already a Walgreens Publix and a Target and, and a, a four-lane fucking road yeah there's a big giant four-lane road that has a half a mile or three-quarter mile traffic jam up to the light at yeah. rush hour and no, oh, it's no. unbelievable. My parents moved to Punta Gorda to get away from it all. Yeah, they moved. And, and when they did, which wasn't that long ago, 15 years, yeah. they were away from it. Yeah. But it only took just a few years. They are not away from it all yeah, anymore. It's, it's overgrown over there fast, as fast, if not faster than here. I even heard um, a lot of stories, and it's fact. They're putting water taxis in Punta Gorda. <laughs> They're putting water taxis around Tampa, yeah. Bradington, and Boca Grande. And I'm like, please, just come over here and take a ride. You and, know. and, you know, people over there think they're, they're immune to the shit that's going on over here. But I remember when the, there was two water taxis here. And it was cute. And every, nobody thought yeah, there was going to be awesome a problem. It was like kind of cool. Right. It was kind of, oh, that's neat. You know, and, you know, it was yeah. kind of put a little smile on your face. That ain't going to last. Right. <laughs> right? How are they going to make money with two water taxis? And oh. I, yeah. And oh, they're not. They're going to do it with 50 of them and they're all going to be buses. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I always say this. It's kind of a joke, you know, because I'm not smart enough to do it, obviously. <laughs> but. What I always say is that I'm pissed off because I didn't think of the idea. Because you and I would be flying to Costa Rica and fishing out of Los Sueños next week with your family on some big sport fishing boat. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You, do you think that... <sighs> How about the Thriller down in Miami? You ever been see the Thriller, Cobine? You want to hear a funny story about that? Yeah. All right, so, so Victoria, my 13-year-old, a couple years ago, was on a softball team. And... Um, we're chilling at the park and we're watching the softball game. This guy walks up to me and uh, he says to me, he says, uh, oh, I understand you fish down in Biscayne Bay a lot. And I says, well, I do tarpon down there. He says, all winter long. And he said, do you ever see the Thriller boat? And I don't know, I wasn't like in the most talkative mood. And so I simply said, yeah, I see that boat all the time. It's always packed. And I didn't say anything else. And the guy says, oh, that's my business. Oh, really? He goes, I have the Thriller boat. You and met I, the guy. And I start giggling to myself because the shit that I was going to say, like if yeah. I'd have been in a better mood about the Thriller boat. <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> that was one time where oh, not man. saying too much kind of saved my right. ass. But yeah, the Thriller boat. Go ahead. Talk I about mean, that for a second. That's just nuts. I look at the thing and I go, who would ever go for a ride on that? And now I see what's going on, and he's got like three of them, and I'm thinking, who wouldn't own four or five of those things? They're packed every day. Right? They go for a 45-minute ride. They do 10 trips a day. That guy is knocking down some major cash out of that business. What am I thinking? I should have five of those things. Wait, let's go. We'll go to Punta Gorda. Go to Punta we'll, Gorda and yeah. open up the thriller well, business. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Dude, if, if somebody's going to do it. Yeah, we're losing it, in the fishing game. You know? <laughs> I, we are, well. Jump in like the rest of the humans and take advantage of the environment and not, you know. Well, I think you say losing in the fishing game, but um, guys like you and me have to make a decision. Um, when we got that serious about taking people fishing is that we knew then we were never going to get rich. Yeah. 
and you, and you have to live with that and be okay with right. that. I mean, you it's know? a trade-off. You're looking to go to the money, or do you want the life experience? Right. But we were lucky in one one aspect is you and I both got a house in downtown Fort Lauderdale. That's right. You know, retirement plan. Well, at least <laughs> at least we didn't have to go out and try to get one here now. Right? Can you, you know? imagine? I, I couldn't do it now. I don't think. Yeah, I've been in this property for. Um, Almost 20 years now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And when we first bought it, it was just a little tiny house. Like we paid like 78000 bucks for it. Wow. And um, when we bought it, I mean, uh, my parents, a lot of the people that I knew were like, Jeff, what the hell did you buy that little thing for? And yeah. Victoria Park wasn't exactly the best neighborhood in those times, at least, yeah. you know. It's not sought after like it is now. Right, and I just said to them, oh, well, at least I don't pay rent. And, you know, it was kind of a good deal and so on and so forth. And luckily, yeah, my wife and I got into a property way back then. Yeah. And, Same uh, here. Well, I mean, think about I mean, it's such a mind. I'm not going to try not to curse so much, but it's such a mind scare. I mean, people that move into this city now, you pay 600000 bucks for a piece of shit property. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even believe it. I'd never pay whatever my house is worth now you for that house. Well, and in no. our incomes, you know, it's not an option anyway. Yeah, I can't afford it. There'd yeah. be no way. I would yeah. want to. I probably could figure it out, but yeah, I don't want to have to just live for my house. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, some of the few fringe benefits that we have. Yeah, you know, it is good. Being old school and, and growing up with the town, you know. Might save our ass after, you know, everything's said and done. Maybe someday we'll leave. <laughs> so, dude, are you getting fired up? I mean, we only got like six weeks left and it's happy bait. Yeah. No, it'd be good to see some bait coming back. I was just up in Stewart yesterday fishing on the beach and there was a bunch of bait, kind of little minnows up there on right? the beach. Yeah, The, the pre-pod. There. Yeah. That's, that's what we call the pre-pod action. The pre-pod. I've been... Uh, I've been fishing the pre-pod stuff for the last four weeks or so here. Yeah. And um, kind of like the way the trips have been going is I'll go out and I'll just fill my well up with those little two and a half to three and a half inch pilchards. Mm -hmm. And there's so many of those pilchards in the intercoastal and along the beach right now that um, the tarpon, the snook, snappers, jacks, everything is uh, just kind of keyed in on them. Mm-hmm. Now, we may not get, you know, any action for a long period of time, but when they do eat that stuff, um, you know, they really, really go off. And um, the small tarpon um, on the outgoing tides at night, um, been all over that. It probably only lasts another 10 days, maybe two weeks. Yeah, it starts slowing down right, right yeah. now, yeah. But um, last time I was out, which was about three days ago, I saw the first, what they call preschool mullet. And they were the spawning mullet because they actually would let you net them real easy and they were, yeah, you know, all packed up tight. A little bigger, yeah. And then I thought, started thinking to myself, well, happy bait's right around the corner, which means it's time to schedule LunkerCon. Yeah, right. So we scheduled LunkerCon. I think we're going to do it um, September 7th. Oh, yeah? Okay. At the Tarpon River Brewery. Oh, nice. And um, I think this year I'm going to change things around a little bit. I think I'm going to use LunkerCon as a fundraiser. For the captains for clean waters. Oh, good idea. Yeah. Yeah, they'll really appreciate it. Well. Maybe those guys will come over. Well, a lot of the dudes were coming yeah. anyway. Oh, yeah? You know, that we're in. I mean, the last one we did in Fort Lauderdale, I'd have to, you know, Benny Blanco was there. Jim Habellis was there. Um, well, you were there. Yeah. Um, but quite a few guides, you know, that fish, 
you know, Broward Dade and of course the park, mm-hmm. you know, we're there. And, um, when I went to ICAST a couple of weeks ago, by far, I felt more at home hanging out with the people from Captains for Clean Waters than I did anyplace else. Yeah. And it's kind of been on my mind ever since. They were so nice to me, Carl. Yeah, they're nice guys. I mean, they're just, they're us. They're fishing guides it's, for the most that, part. That's it. They retired from, I don't know about retired, but they quit fishing guiding to go out and support this movement and get involved and make sure that things go the other direction here. So they're just guys like us that are trying to make a difference. Yeah, yeah. And, well, I'll tell you something. I'll tell you, you know, kind of like my philosophy with um, all these foundations and organizations. And it's a, to me, for the most part, like with the turtles and shit, it's about the money. Hmm. And these foundations are based out of D.C. Yeah. Well, and there as is soon a as, lot of that. And as soon as I hear that, I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's really for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I believe the cause and I, you know, I'm kind of with you on that. But sending money to D.C. is kind of like against my thinking <laughs> a little bit. So there was three times that I voted in my life. I voted for Ross Perot way back when. Yeah. I voted for. Um, well, actually, I only voted twice in my life and I voted for Donald Trump just recently. And I really don't have a political affiliation. I you're, mean, you're an independent. I'm an independent. And I really don't vote. I probably don't have a, you know, like I probably shouldn't even talk about shit like this. <laughs> but the reason I voted for Perot and the reason I voted for Trump is because those were the only two people that I ever saw run for government that I thought might think like an entrepreneur. Right. Might think like the normal person like you and I, you yeah. know, the guy that has to get up every day and make his money. Yeah, they're not the typical politician. They're they're, yeah, not, they're from a different school. It's, yeah, well, they're different. entrepreneurs. They made yeah. it in the business world. And being in business my whole life is that's a hard feat. Right. And you have to be talented. You have to be smart. And you have to work extremely hard to be that successful, which I don't see coming from the other politicians. Right. So for, there was something inside me that drove me, you know, to vote for those guys. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I'm the same way where I just, you get tired of that old school political lifetime politicians and, you know, you never have somebody that's outside of that community. Right. And you look, you're looking at that lifetime politician and they're talking to you and they may be the super nice person or whatever, but you're looking at them and you're looking through them and you're thinking to yourself, that guy has no fucking clue. He's full of shit. He well, knows. He knows. He knows. They he, know they're full of knows. shit. He knows. Right. They know they're full of <laughs> he shit. He just can't say it. Right. But That's what's great about Trump. He says what the whole world says. It, it, he just says it in public. <laughs> he says it like you and I would. Right. You and I could talk about all the same exact stuff, and he just says it in public. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, I mean, politics is a funny thing, and really, you know, I... I it is I, a funny thing. Well, until recently, I understood both sides of the aisle, and I never really got involved, and I'm still not going to get involved. Probably the most political thing that I'm ever going to get involved is the LunkerCon fundraiser for the Captains for Clean Waters. There you go. That's about as That's deep as I'm getting. That's a good thing to do. That's a really good thing to do. <laughs> Are you going to be around for the yeah. uh, for the uh, ninth? Yeah, seventh? Or seventh, seventh, I mean? Yeah, I think so. I have uh, to look at the calendar, but I... You know, I well, should because, be. Well, because, you know, when I promote the thing, I get yeah. to say, meet Carl Ball, the yeah, king of the slam, yeah. you know. And um, I love it when you do that. <laughs> I, dude, I have fun doing that because I get to promote all the guys yeah. that I respect. You know what I mean? 
Like in this business is, you know, you look across the table and you see the guy and you know, you know, he's got a, he's got a life to live. He's got a family to feed and you know what he's going through and you know how hard he's working, you know? Mm -hmm. And because of that, when it comes longer con time, I love to build up every single one of those guides mm -hmm. because it's their time to get some recognition. It's their time to loosen up and feel like I'm going to go out and I'm going to have fun and I'm going to meet people and mix with people that mm -hmm. actually appreciate what I'm doing and what I'm all about. Because I've been to all sorts of fishing events my whole life and I never have seen or felt that the guys that are actually doing the work were getting the recognition. Mm. You know, like take those big Blue Marlin tournaments that I did when I was a kid. You had mates, you had captains, you had guys that were busting their ass, but when it was time to go get the trophy, the dude that owned the boat walked up there, the took the trophy, put it on his <laughs> shelf at home, right. and then we would sit together at the bar and talk about it a little bit. And yeah, we knew, Yeah. but nobody right. else got it. Uh, yeah. So at LonkerCon... The, the other owners didn't come out and hang out with you at the bar and talk and ask you how you rigged your lures. No, they went over to the owner. And not asked, unless they were looking for you, a new captain or a new right, mate. Right. It's the only time they ever came over. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at Lunker Con, you know, um, you know I, I, take, I take a bit of pride in it. And, and the last one we did in Fort Lauderdale, I mean, you looked across the place. Yeah. And you saw all the best fishermen. Yeah, no, it's a great thing. And you know what? All the stuff that I've done with Hell's Bay and all these iCast and all that, you know what? For all the other charter boat guys and guides, it's a great time to get together and network and get to know each other and talk to the guy and see what he does a little bit better, you know? Because I always get guys calling me about, hey, do you know anybody in the Keys? Do you know anybody here? Do you know anybody in Tampa? Whatever. Right. We're going to go there. And so I know over the years of doing these kind of events, you know, somebody to send somebody to. Right. So maybe I wouldn't have, if it wasn't for LunkerCon, I wouldn't have met some of those guys and, and know a little bit and know their personality a little bit, you know, good or bad, whatever. But Sure, sure. You know, but uh, yeah, that's a good event. It's a good networking event good opportunity for you know your average joe to come out and meet some captains and talk to them and yeah yeah you know no usually the average joe i mean you know they show up to an event because um you're doing a seminar you know they're trying to learn something and there's nothing wrong with that yeah but it's not fun like LunkerCon. right it's not you know hang out and have beers and like you know actually get to know that person right. and you know laugh and meet his friends and you know, maybe learn something about the guide's life or you learn about some other guide. How many guides that have referred to me and I've referred to them over the years and I've never spent more than two minutes on the phone with them. Mm -hmm. You call them up and you say, hey, do you need somebody for this weekend? And either they can or cannot take them. And that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. And then you can move on. Yeah. Or just text them. Right. Or you just text them. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then, OK, so the dude that I texted 20 times last year. And I get to hang out and have a beer with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it that goes over good. well That's and everybody fun. has a good time. So yeah, we'll be. Right. Uh, it's a good event. Yeah. Glad you do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, dude, I, I love it. It's a lot of work. But. Um, yeah. And I'm excited this year about doing the fundraiser for, for Captains for Clean Waters. Right. Because. Um, good to give back. Yeah. You're good yeah. to give back. And I feel like I'm giving it to the right people. Right. You know, like a lot of. I'm getting more friendly with the CCA lately 
And that's because a friend of mine, Mike Lambrex, mm -hmm. is now um, the president of the Broward County chapter. Right. And Mike, I've known for a long time. He's a mover. He's a shaker. Um, he's the right guy. Yeah. So I have a little bit of hope. But I've been listening to the CCA talk about... What? <laughs> they talk about conservation, and they talk about the angler's right to fish in the meantime we grew up here in fort lauderdale where 75 percent of this place we're not allowed to fish anymore right the amazing? fucking government has thrown us out of 75 percent wow. of the waterway is not fishable because it's restricted areas now right you know and i've watched the development happen i've watched the river die and cca has been there the whole time yeah Right. So like, it's hard for me to be really buddy up with those some bitches. Yeah, they did kind of go to battle with the national park over some of the area that they wanted to close down in Biscayne Bay. Right. So, you know, they had, they did do some stuff. Um, but you're right. You know, they should probably have more of it. I mean, they are about, you know, restoring areas and enhancing areas. And, and then, then on the other hand, there's all these areas you're not allowed to go into. You can't fish this. You can't fish that. It's well, the CCA is the first ones to tell you how great they are and how long they've been around and that yeah. they're the biggest and they're the best. Right. Okay. You got to. I'll buy that. You Will you please help me with Port Everglades? <laughs> right. Do you remember the day we were out fishing God. and those fish were piled up on the west side of Port Everglades? Yeah. And we were taking turns. To Come watch on. if the law was coming in? Yeah, right. So, oh, this is funny. I forgot yeah. all about that. So, me and Carl are fishing in Port Everglades, and we're taking turns looking down the intercoastal to see if the law was coming. So, okay, I could get another 10 minutes on the spot. And then I'd catch a <laughs> fish and go out there and do the same thing, and then Carl would go in there and <laughs> see if he could get a fish on the spot. That's amazing that you have to cover each other like that. Dude, that was the teamwork days. at its finest. Golly, I used to go in there. And that's kind of what happened with me with fishing in Lauderdale during the mullet run a lot of when we weren't allowed to fish in the west side of the port anymore. That over there was just so spectacular. It was unbelievable. And that was one of the things about the mullet run that I liked the best because there was so much activity and so many tarpon and, it, you know, just great fishing. So once they closed all that down, I kind of like was a little disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. The, um, it's funny because um, those ship channels um, in Port Everglades, they were my tarpon fly fish spots, believe it or yeah. not. Yeah. Right. I used to do that a bunch. Right. You get yeah. those tarpon would get the bait kind of packed up in the back of those big ship, yeah. those big shipping slips and, and they would do circles and you could get a fly in front of them over uh, and over and over again. Right. And those big shadow lines that were off the edge of the seawall. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, uh, that we was were, great fishing. We were lucky we got to see it. I yeah, feel we bad were. for the young kids that come around now, you know, that are in town and they can't, they'll never know that. They'll never go see that. They'll never go see that. And fuck, yeah. if we left it up to the to the city officials, they wouldn't be allowed to fish on the beach. Yeah, right. Remember that? Yeah. Those people were going to throw people they, off the beach. They were going to make fishing illegal on the beach. Right. How nuts is that? It's that, already, you can't fish it most of the time anyways. <laughs> right. I mean, it's so restricted and limited that uh, it takes Bef people's motivation to even want to go down there. Yeah, you have to go down, well, at least on the public beach, you have to go down there before 9 o'clock, before, yeah. the, before the coast or lifeguards get there, and then after 6 o'clock. Right. Do you know those lifeguards are there till fucking 8? Eight? 8? They're there till 8 now. 
It, but but they but they will look the other way after six and let you go down there and fish. Unbelievable! They should, dude. That was um. Think about the retired people that bought a condo, and up here and wanted to come down here and just be able to walk downstairs and put a line out the back door, and fish off the beach for a few hours, and then all of a sudden, you know, right? They, they want to throw that throw those people out and not let you fish at all dude and the cops dude they were on your ass oh yeah you went down there with the rod you didn't even get to the water and they were already there looking at you gotta go and they were throwing people out before they even changed the law and then um it's actually how i kind of got closer to you like i knew about you and we, we were friendly for years yeah right but um what was it you and kantner yeah. Knew that that hearing was happening. I heard about the meeting. Yeah, yeah, you guys heard about the meeting, and then I heard about it through you guys, and I was like, really? They're going to stop fishing on the beach? And then um, through the social media and the Real Guy Network, right. um, we let the cat out of the bag. Right. No, and I we knew. all showed up downtown. I, I said, okay, if that, any way we're going to get this word out like today and be there tomorrow for this thing, I got to call Jeff. And get that out there, because I knew you knew like a lot of people here with that. Well, the, I mean, the, the the real guy network is strong. Yeah, I mean, it's stronger now than it's ever been, and you know that's the old saying that we have in the network: it's real guys helping real guys. But thank God you and Kantner knew that that was coming, yeah. because if you guys didn't know that was coming, there would have been maybe six dudes down there to oppose it. Yeah, there would have been a dozen dudes down there to to make it happen, right. and we'd have lost. We'd have lost. And then next thing you know, the signs would have been up. Nobody would have been able to fish on the beach. And then you're talking to some cop that's like, "Dude, I don't make the laws." Right, right, right. Right? Yeah, they don't care. But anyway, great. No, hit. that was awesome because that room was full of fishermen, uh, and I think those people freaked out when they saw what showed up, and they went up there to talk, and they were like, "Whoa, what?" Dude, they freaked out. The news was totally freaking astonished by the whole thing. Right. They put everybody on the news, and thank God that um, you guys found out, and that we did have a call to action, and yeah. it worked out. Yeah, and. Um, you know, that's the old thing. That's real guys helping real guys. Yeah, for sure. No, it helped out for sure. I mean, it kept, it's a small battle in a large war. Yeah. It was nice right. to win. It was a good one to win. It was nice sure. to win. It, you know, when you win one on your own beach, in your own hometown, you're on your own turf. Yep. I mean, it's like those uh, swim buoys. I, I mean, I totally get it. People are irresponsible. They come into the beach and they run people over. And it was back when Howard Johnson's, remember Hojo's? Sure. It was a big party and everybody would anchor up on the beach. People got drunk. They ran a few people over. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of irresponsible people. But, you know, it was just like so sad because when the mullet run came and we could fish right up on the beach and, you know, it was no big deal. Right. And now you're all the way up to Palm Beach before you can fish on the beach. You can't fish anywhere from like Palm Beach, maybe Boca at the furthest south all the way clear down to Key Biscayne. You can't even, you're not supposed to be up there in Key Biscayne. So. Yeah, you're like 150 yards off the beach. Yeah, I mean, it's a big area. Yeah, it's Cut a big area. It's a lot fishing. of water. And that it's amazing how right. those fish kind of start at the buoys and want to be in yeah, closer they than know. that. Do they know? <laughs> they know. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They, they, they must know because, <laughs> I mean, when I'm fishing the buoy line, you know, and everybody goes home and the lifeguards go home. And the cops kind of go home. As I push the issue, I get inside there and um, I get inside there because the fish are in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Right. 
But that just is more the area that I'm talking about that's off limits, you know, to, to fishermen. You know, what's crazy is they put those swim buoys that far out. And it encourages swimmers to go out there. They go all the way out there. I know. If I was the lifeguard, I'd be like, what are you doing out there? That's too far to go to save you. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, uh, the craziest thing is, is in, uh, you know, when we're catching those big tarpon off the beach like that. And those, I mean, literally five, six, seven, eight hundred pound sharks yeah. are swimming through the swimmers to get to our tarpon. Isn't it crazy? The, and people will go out in that bait, and they have no idea. And there's sharks in there like crazy, just grabbing anything that moves. Right. The lifeguards ought to be like, you're not allowed in in the fall. I think last year the lifeguards actually, you know, were on top of that. They were going down there and telling people, hey, don't be an idiot. Don't fish in the middle of all those. I mean, don't swim in the middle of all those yeah. fish. But About time. Yeah, well, I don't, I mean, don't, I and, wouldn't count on that. And with the shark bites that have been happening just recently up north of here, you know, um, I think it's going to be pretty big that, you know, they're going to want to keep people out of the water. And people are going to be a little more uh, aware of what's going on anyways, just because of that. Maybe it's a good thing a few people got bit Yeah. for the rest of the people. Yeah, well... I mean, you know, there's always some some good that happens out of everything. But um, in the last recording I did with Brian Sanders, we were talking about um, about the sharks. I mean, all the way out there where he fishes in Chukaluski and way the hell out in the ocean, he's having the same issues that we're having yeah. with the sharks coming up and pretty much eating everything that he catches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gotten bad over the years. Oh, man, the last three years is really... You know, it's probably... My theory is that overall fishing has taken away so many of the fish that the sharks eat. Right. The sharks are going to where the fish are, and we're just there making it easy on them. So they kind of keep track where the fish are. They see fishermen. That's an easy meal getting ready to happen if they're lucky, and so they're there. They're there. Yeah. And um, all these people that are into saving the shark, you know, that think the shark is cool, you know, kind of like a turtle or a manatee, some fuzzy, friendly fucking thing. Yeah. They're so mistaken, <laughs> you know, but they're behind it. So they got the, the commercial fishermen, you know, are bending over backwards to make sure that they don't kill the shark. They're killing all the shark's food in the nets right. and the commercial fishing, but they're letting That's the sharks I mean. go back. We're letting the sharks go and the sharks and are, killing their food. Right. So the sharks are desperate. Yeah, the sharks are getting more desperate. Yeah. There's, a, there's a population problem. That's I right. mean. I mean, seriously, five, six years ago, if I had three or four encounters with the shark and a tarpon over the course of the whole year, right. that was about right. Yeah. Dude, today, sometimes I have three and four encounters on one trip. Yeah, you got yeah, you got to move spots sometimes. A lot of yeah. times. There's a so lot of areas. On it. No, there was a lot of areas where I just quit fishing last year. Yeah. Because I did not want to right. feed the sharks. Exactly. Oh, I know. And I don't know how long they're going to let Boca Grande um, be the way it is, but that's just one giant chum slick for the sharks. Yep. Every in, fish that's caught over there, I would be willing to bet everything I have on it. And Bay of Honda. I talked to the guy, the uh, BTT guy the, that I took permit fishing to put acoustic tags and permit the other day, and we were talking about the sharks, the hammerheads, that come into Bay of Honda. Right. Yeah. It's uh, they're unbelievable. Is it there. getting like like Boca Grande, where it's just 
so many of them that yeah i mean i think that it's a combination of uh easy pickings because the fishermen catch them and they pick them off right but i mean there's just so many fish there that it's gonna attract a big population of these big sharks and they get they're gonna get them one way or another but the humans definitely you know make a difference make it easier for the sharks to get them probably attracts more of them well i'll tell you this year in government cut um there was times when I was fishing the cut itself mm-hmm. and also off the beaches there where the sharks basically showed up before I even caught anything. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you see them. And you see them swimming right by the back of the engine. Right. The big ones. Yeah. They come right up there. Yeah. They're oh, like, yeah. okay, I'm just going to sniff around Jeff until he, until he hooks a fish. Right. And I would see that and I'd be like, yeah, let's go to a different spot. Put a shark bait out and see what happens. <sighs> Jesus Christ. I feel bad enough for my poor clients when I put them on a 100-pounder. Now I'm going to put them on one of those things in the it's meantime. Pretty, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive, man. <laughs> I kind of like shark fishing. It's it's easy, and they're there, and it's I'm, I make it so that you see them when they come and they eat the bait. It's not like just bottom fishing. Right, you, know, you're, right. you watch them, and they come flying in there. It's like, it's kind of like getting the tarpon bite on the surface with a mullet except that you see it coming way out there ahead of time you just don't get the big splash and the mullet flying through the air right but it's pretty impressive i love it when those spinner sharks come in oh they're great well they look cool they come oh. in like jet fighters they run like crazy just they'll jump flying, and they're gonna eat they're gonna eat the thing yeah and then they go flying out of the water oh they're the best but that's about it yeah the rest of them i don't want to see at all <laughs> I yeah. hate them, son of a bitch. Well, you know that when you're trying to get a tarpon and they're going to be there, yeah, I mean, it's pretty discouraging and it's frustrating because you don't want to lose that fish, you know? You don't want to lose the fish. You have no problem cutting the fish off. Right. You know, or, you know, opening up the bale or whatever to let the fish go. But then you wonder. You're like, okay, I just cut the line. Now, is that shark going to hound that fish because i've been fighting him for 30 minutes is he going to end up getting him yeah maybe i i would i would be willing chance. to bet yeah, yeah. i'd be willing I mean, to bet yeah i have seen them where i broke them off and they've gotten them anyways right so they definitely get them but like it's a strategy now and same with the permit and the bonefish and all that you know we don't realize you know i do more now than ever but you don't realize how many fish that we hurt by just catching them even though we saw them swim away you don't realize how long it takes for those fish to recuperate and those sharks are there and because you've handled that fish you just touch that fish and you break that seal basically now it's leaving a scent trail and behind a tired fish and that shark smells that he's racing as fast as he can absolutely and he runs into that fish before that fish even realizes what realizes what happens and he's on it yeah and so, you know, that's my biggest concern is that we're doing more damage than we think we are. Yeah, my mind is racing, you know, like, especially on my, like on my drive home, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on 95 and, you know, I'm kind of like decompressing from the day and then my mind wanders and I'm like, did that fish make it? Yeah, right. My client pulled on that 100-pounder for an hour and a fucking half. When I let that fish go, yeah, he was upright, and yeah, he swam away, and it seemed like, you know, we did everything that we possibly could to, you know, revitalize the fish and everything, but in the back of my mind, I'm wondering. They didn't make it, maybe. Maybe. Maybe they did, maybe they they did. They might have. You know what I I wind up doing is, as that fight goes on and on and on and on, I keep tightening the drag. 
and I always tell everybody, I go, listen, we're either going to catch this fish soon or we're going to lose it. Yeah. You can fight a fish for two hours and get it to the end and lose it anyways. So let's just get it now or get rid of it now. The sooner we get rid of it, the quicker we can go back to fishing for another one. Yeah. The longer we sit here and fight this fish, the more damage it's going to do to that fish and the likelihood that it's not going to survive. So let's just get it or get rid of it. Yeah. And they pretty much understand that because I tell them, you know, they're not going to survive. The sharks will get them. And then they start feeling bad and they don't want to. Right. Then they really put more effort into getting it and we get the thing and get it on. I'll tell you another good example is uh, the other day we caught two nice bonefish and it's a real sharky area there. And I just knew that, you know, these guys, it was like their first and second bonefish. They wanted to get a picture. They wanted to right. hold that fish up. And and uh, it's really, they needed to recuperate. And I couldn't just sit there and do it with knowing these sharks were right there. So I put them in the live well, and I literally motored them on down the way a ways, like a good couple hundred yards. Yeah. And then got the picture real quick and got them in the water as fast as I could. Right. And by then they were all recuperated well. They were in the live well. You and, felt you better know, about it. They definitely swam away real good and healthy. And, you know, the sharks were way behind us. And, you know, I mean, I get, give them a little bit better of a fighting chance, you know. That's what Sanders was doing with the permit. Yeah. Out in, uh, in, in uh, Chukaluski. Yeah. Is we'd catch, uh, we were doubling up on perms. Right. It was so fucking good. Yeah. But um, we'd put the perms in the, in the bait well. Yep. We'd run off either back to the wreck, like right on the structure to let them go. Or we'd run off three or four or 500 yards away from where we caught them. Yeah. And then let them go. And, you know, just kept our fingers crossed that those sharks that we were seeing. Yeah. You know. Because they want to stay around that school. The, the sharks want to stay around that school. They want to stay around that wreck because they know that's where it's going to come from. But they don't know to follow you because they don't know where you're going. That's there's a, nothing out there 500 yards away from that wreck you know there's nothing there yeah well, let's hope it's working let's hope yeah. it's working but this this is like a full round effect see this is what i'm talking about guides talk about this kind of shit now right we're 20 30 years ago it wasn't even in the conversation yeah, we didn't think about conversation conservation like we do now right yeah and now the guides are thinking about conservation more Yep. Than the Florida Wildlife and Conservation. Absolutely right. And that's why the relationship should change now. That's exactly right. You yep. know, things yep. are changing. We should work together like we are with the National Park Service. Yeah. Now, if you guys want to book Carl, um, which I would highly recommend, if you want to do some flats fishing, if you're thinking about maybe you want to try to get a slam in Biscayne Bay. Test your casting skills. Right. And hang out with somebody that freaking can teach you something. And when you get off the boat at the end of the day, you're not going to have to, like, you know, exhale. Because Carl's a great dude. <laughs> Go get a cocktail. Right. Carl's, settle down. Right. Carl's a great dude. You'll have a great time with him. It's awallfishingguide.com. But um, if you just type in AWOL or Carl Ball into the Google search, um, when I need his phone number, that's all I do. Yeah. Uh, you got me on speed dial. Dude, I I don't use the speed dial thing. You know how to get a hold of Jeff. Just get a hold of Jeff, and he can get a hold of me. <laughs> you can always do that if you want to fish in Biscayne Bay. But, Carl, thanks for coming in today. Um, being a local, I hope it's not the last time that you're on the uh, Real Guy podcast. Yeah, no, it'd be good. And and uh, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the time that we spent together. And um, thanks a lot for getting Busaka on his first bonefish. Yeah, that was good. Because... Now, um, 
Anybody that's that excited about getting one, it's a lot of fun because they really. Well, you then know, he won't bother just, me about it no more. Right. <laughs> See, now he can bother you about it. And then you you leaked out that you're going to try to get him his first perm. And everybody on this podcast, at least the core listeners, know about Carl Ball because Busaka won't shut up about you. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. So that's anyway, good. Uh, thanks for coming in for the Real Guy Podcast. Yep. If you want to meet Carl Ball, um, Come to LunkerCon. It's going to be September 7th at the uh, Tarpon River Brewery. And um, 90% chance he'll be there as long as something doesn't come up. And if it does, I'll cancel it. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to the Real Guy Podcast and uh, run that dog.